How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to Boys Town with Aaron. Um, this is my triumphant return from putting no content out whatsoever for the last two months or so. I have here with me Popular Liberty. He's uh, somebody I find very interesting as a connoisseur of the fringes. Um, and he is approaching things from even further to the right than I am. Welcome, Popular Liberty. Welcome to Boys Town. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, you can call me Andrew if you want. All right, Andrew, will do. Doxed, got it. <laughs> uh, Andrew from Popular, I, I used, just use my uh, first name. Yep. So yeah, I've uh, I checked out some of your some of your shows uh, prior to this, and uh, I I had to have you on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What? Yeah. What did you like about it? So I I went into it wanting to know more about um, being a praxian, as you would say. Um, I am familiar with praxeology. I've I wouldn't say I've read Mises, mm-hmm. but I've, I've perused through Mises and um, praxeology seems to make the most sense to me in terms of interpreting reality. Um, you know, what drives people to act? Um, what, like, how, how can you best predict people's actions based on incentives? Um, and that seems like something you're very well versed on and something that I'm still not very well versed on. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about archotropism? Uh, what what brought you to it? Well, the uh, first thing that I think you, you know you understand your uh, audience needs to understand with uh, people's incentives is that people are, are they really do not behave their ideologies, and the reason that is that ideologies are unadaptive by nature. You know, th- this is like a way I've reasoned out that. You know, I think reality works, and real and it actually does not work that way. And you're trying to uh, fit reality to an to an idea instead of your ideas to reality. So by definition, you're doing something that is unadaptive. And you know, if you understand, like humans are animals. You know, we and uh, you know, natural selection is a real thing. So if you, so, what happens if you're you know not behave and a uh, incentive is something that rewards you. So it, it's you know something that gets you ever closer to that you know Darwinian ideal of I reproduced <laughs> and yeah. you know so if you're if you are not behaving your incentives you're being unadaptive by nature and you are not getting yourself that much closer to uh, you know reproduction so uh, you know th- because of this humans are pretty much hardwired to very very well behave their incentive the incentives in terms of things that reward them things that you know give particularly things that pay them i think there was a a, a quote i forget who who uh, said it but i think it was upton sinclair that it's extremely difficult to uh get people to uh, or, or convince the, someone that uh something that pays them is wrong you know he said something to that effect and the yeah. reason for this is just darwinian is that you know people are hardwired to behave incentives they're hardwired to behave actions that uh pay them that get them you know paid and you know you can take that and a very, very loose definition, you know, get paid in sex, get paid in money, get paid in influence and power and fame, et cetera, et cetera. And the, uh, so, you know, when you start like uh, analyzing, uh, you know, human behavior from the standpoint of here's what pays people to do, you find out that humans are very, very consistent when it comes to things that pay them. And, you know, when that, when that conflicts with their ideologies, they tend to choose incentives over, over ideologies and they'll just rationalize it some other way. Yes. And so, the rationalizing yeah. it some other way, it seems to be, at least on our level, that's, that's what we see all the time. Yeah. 
and like everyone does it and like there's no one ideal ideological group that doesn't do it yeah. and that like i mean if you even look over to our you know good friends in the uh you know mises caucus you know I'll, I'll say like you know dave smith who i'm a big big fan of he is behaving his incentives as a podcaster as a uh, entertainer you know it you know it fits his incentives to uh, you know, run for, you know, uh, con- not Congress, uh, run for president on the LP ticket because that will help raise his, you know, pu- you know, his, uh, you know, name recognition and all that. And will and going all the on all those other shows will, you know, certainly uh, raise his name recognition and, you know, give him a lot more, you know, money in the future. And he's rationalized this in a particular way that, uh, he believes that he, I, I'm sure he sincerely believes that this is also good for liberty. But, the fact it's good for him is the main reason that that you can predict his human behavior from that. You know, now, is that, like he'll fit, he'll fit, you know, it didn't matter the reason he would figure out a way that and and you could say that's true of any human. That's not I'm not trying to insult oh, yeah. him here at all. That like this is like this is not a put down. Like I'm his I'm like his biggest fan. I'm like the head of his uh uh, his his supporting listeners group. I'm like the main admin in there, so yeah. it's like I'm not. I'm really not insulting him at all. Like I really, no, I really that's, like the that's guy. an objective. That's a pretty objective take, you know. And yeah, it's like people will always behave their incentives. They will always do the behaviors that they really th- that they reasonably think will reward them. And then if there needs to be a rationalization for it, they will come up with a rationalization for it. And you know, reason is not a good way to run society is not a good way to form your ideas it's like it, it's kind of like an afterthought you you should be like the the way the way you should be doing it is that pays me i need to do that and are you then trying to it, tell me that the enlightenment was wrong oh yeah, it was a big mistake <laughs> yeah <laughs> it never happened actually it's you know really a misnomer like, like yeah. I, I don't know if you ever saw that tweet that i put out that was like what yeah, you know, a long list of like debunkings, and one of the things I said was, "Oh, the Enlightenment is a misnomer." <laughs> yeah, that uh, like, makes perfect you, sense to me. Knowing, like, seeing where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at like, uh, like even politicians, like you would think, oh, these are you know ideologues who've you know really looked into stuff. Nope, they just behave political incentives every time, and you know people would be like, huh, "I wonder how they get corrupted." You know, it must be like something to do with power. Did they get you know? Is there a compromising material on them or something? Like, no, this is just the political incentive of you know, staying elected. Yeah. That's all that is. It's like yep. if you look at what you know, what helps people stay elected, which actions do that. That's it. Are, that's all it they is. They are heavily incentivized to masturbate on a dead body around a bunch of Yale people. Exactly. I, it's <laughs> like there's no other way to get a, <laughs> to maintain power than to you know fuck that one child. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. How else are you going to do it? <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. so no, knowing that, what do we do? Uh, well, what you're going to have to do is like, this is basically the universal hack uh, for human behavior is pay them. It really oh. is that simple. And, you know, the, the, you know when you hear like, uh, you know, Jason Stapleton and uh, Matt Erickson talking about, you know, wealth, power and influence. It's like the praxeology of that is very, very simple that you know, it's easy to just pay people to do what you want them to do rather than to try to convince them with, and persuade them that something that is paying them is really wrong and shouldn't exist. And now, do you mean pay them as in money or or, or any type of a reward system? Because any type of reward system will work. So, I mean, if we're right. using the Misesians, uh, you know, in uh, the Misesian school of thought, anything that has value can be a form of payment. 
Yes. So like that's anything at all. And we're really being loose with that definition here. Yeah. It, like, that, that covers like aesthetic things that actually mm-hmm. don't have any material value whatsoever. Like let's yeah. say pay them in likes, pay them in exposure. Yeah. Huh. Or, I mean, or like, you know, my preferred is, you know, pay them in sex. And so Dave should, really should go have sex with everyone in the entire nation to get them to be a libertarian. I'm kidding. All right. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I like that's, that's exactly what he should do. He needs to fuck the entire nation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, a, that's the solution. It, sc- it will scale really well, I promise. <laughs> libertarianism. Yep. He, he, is, libertarianism. he is a real libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, that is the uh, that that's the universal idea. Is this is why I talk about like the anti-tax, which is my uh, preferred solution for how we deal with the problems of archotropism and that archotropism being this is the these are the incentives of power. This is like the ego. You know, this is the praxeological explanation for why power exists in the first place and how it works. So and you're taking praxeology and making and and aligning your behavior in dealing with societal ills to be predatory. Uh, in a sense, if you call it that, it's like I, huh. I don't think all aggression is predatory, and that's that's no. something I've kind of from studying this. This is something I've kind of come to the conclusion: okay, not all aggression is bad, you know, no. huh. and uh, you know, so, some of it is probably actually good for society, and I'm not sure what to do about that. Because it's like, you know, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because basically what you're doing with aggression is you're overriding someone else's, uh, you know, free will. You're overriding their decision-making power. And whether that is a good thing or a bad thing depends on basically you. It's like, was your decision better than what they were going to do? Realistic. And it's like, okay, like I'm going to, you know, I can maybe override, uh, your decision making about what you do with your money and you know i don't i mean that and that's really tough to do like we you know, was your uh, you know whatever you were going to do with it i don't know maybe you wanted to you know take it and you know bet it all on red you know and i overrode you and, and uh made you uh you know bet it all on black or or bet it all on alabama you know roll tide <laughs> so yeah. i don't know we, we, you know it's tough to say which is better uh, and uh, you know and, and there's always the you know kind of you you can't see the unseen but on the other hand there's the the other kind of aggression which is like all right if you're like my son and you know you're a drug addict and i'm going to like force you to go to rehab uh it's like hmm i was like i have a tough time calling one at all calling that aggression and you know two is like even even if it is that's a good thing i don't yes uh uh, yeah it's like uh, I've got plenty of, you know, drug addicts in my family. Like the state has never been like the problem with the drug addicts in my family. And, you know, if anything, it's like, it's a, it's a sheer lack of aggression against them, which is like the problem, clearly the problem. Like they need to be like, you know, have quite a lot more um, totalitarian order enforced on them. Yes. And, you know, there's a, you know, like they, they need to not be making decisions for themselves. Like clearly they suck at this whole decision making thing. So you know, anybody, you know, any random person being able to just make decisions for them would be better. I can just pick names from the phone book and that'll probably be better. And the, uh, but, you know, so so like there's, there is, there exists this class of, you know, like benevolent totalitarianism or benevolent aggression that I think gets discounted by uh, libertarians because they just want to call it evil and move on from it. I don't have, they say they have this 
idea that where I don't have to understand this thing because it's evil and I can just say yes. evil and all done. Yes. And that's, that's kind of been my, um, my goal is to distill useful ideas that come straight out of Marx and Lenin that mm-hmm. people who are completely anathema to libertarianism, to right-wing populism, whatever, and present them in a way that makes that they don't have to hold their nose and they don't have to look at some blue haired tranny telling them that they're wrong. And they can look at me, a normal, just normal dude. And I'll say, this is why Marx and Lenin are to have some useful ideas. And that's palatable to them somewhat. Yeah, I I really think so. And, you know, because I I always like I divide the left and the right, because you understand, like, you know, predation and production, they really are, you know, opposing forces, you know, and uh, particularly from the left's point of view. If you understand that, like, you know, the, the, uh, the right on my right now is I was on your right, but now I'm on my right, but the, <laughs> oh, thank uh, God. yeah. So anyway, the, uh, it, if you understand that, like, okay, you know, anytime you have just uh, production, you're creating new wealth. Well, if you understand like that, you know, this is like the first law of archotropism that is like the, uh, the value of power is relative. And because of that, it, you know, because of that relatively is always measured in percentages. So it's always percents of a whole percents of a hundred. So if you're creating new wealth and okay, if you understand, okay, like any kind of wealth can be converted into coercive force. And when I talk about power, I'm usually meaning coercive power and I I usually define as like kinetic power. You know, that's thermo. Yeah. It's like the thermodynamics. The the EPA SWAT team. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The EPA SWAT team. Exactly. And, you know, and you pay your tax dollars and that goes that that is a form of wealth that gets converted into the EPA SWAT team. And the uh, but by, you know, by doing that, you are disincentivizing production, which, you know, causes a fall in the amount of production. That's why, you know, you're you're actually consuming. That's why I say you're consuming wealth and turning it into power. You know, that anytime you're consuming uh, the value of power, you know, it will, you know, the amount of power in the entire system will go down. So the amount of uh, the, the total amount of wealth uh, should decrease, you should see some sort of decrease from that. So if, it, if it's not getting uh, converted, it won't, you won't see a drop, a, 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 like a drop in the amount that's there. So that's like kind of the signature for this was, you know, predatory was did the, uh, you know, did the value drop? So and, if I could if I could translate this into left speak, uh, would you would it be fair to say that as the as the wealth gap increases, the amount of power that um, I guess the political class increases proportionally? Yep, and that's basically where we get to the second law. To the second law that uh, this is where you really start to see the left's uh, point of view come into play because this is how I figured it out in the first place was okay. Clearly, I, I you know. Uh, you think like, think about like this, you know, if you wanted tips on how to stay sober, you wouldn't go to an alcoholic, you know? And that's why I say, okay, if you want to understand how power works, don't go to the libertarians. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't have any shows. And uh, whereas if you want to understand how power works, you go to the people who really get it and just have like an unfathomable love for this, for for power, which is the left. And, uh, They clearly understand this thing better. So why don't I go listen to the experts and reverse engineer what they did? And yes, so exactly. And so that's why you would go to a Lenin or a Stalin is because they clearly understand this thing. And you know, I'm sure they're still evil, but they, well, hey, they think the same of us. But <laughs> the uh, 
anyway, so you know when you have like a the the uh, value the, like with the first law, the value of power is relative. So and the what it's well that's, the question is well what is it relative to? And it's basically itself. But the way you can think about it is okay. Uh, how valuable is this action going to be if I coerce you to try to just take your stuff? And that's the, you know, basically it's relative to your ability to defend yourself against me. So, so it's, it's a it's risk like, versus reward calculation on behalf bingo. of the people wielding the power. It is exactly that. And you can okay. use the expected value formula from Konkin, you know, to, I don't know if you've read Konkin, but he has a formula that, you know, the, it's, a, it's an accounting formula. I learned it in Vegas for, you know, playing poker and, you know, sports betting. But, uh, you know, it's called expected value, where it's the percent uh, chance of success multiplied by the um, amount of reward minus the percent chance of failure multiplied by the uh, amount you stand to lose. So that's the end. If you un- so, and if you understand just practically logically as a predator, uh, the, the, the greater that, uh, you know, risk reward is, you know, or to where you like, you're going to make way more, you stand to make way more on a percentage basis than you do, than you stand to lose, you know, that you're going to prioritize that sort of predation first. So what you end up with is, you know, for criminals and states alike is that they want, you know, they are going to prioritize you know, predating on like the people who really can't fight back, the, you know, at all the most. And, you know, even, you know, and the reason is just because it's a lower, you know, risk that they stand. So, you know, if you, you can predict, you know, just from that math, you know, who's going to get the worst uh, from the state and the, and criminals, it's the poor people. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well. like the poor, the poor definitely get the worst because they're the most powerless. They're the, the least able to fight back and yes. to, uh, low, and to defend themselves. Risk. Low risk, and that's the and again the and the the risk cost really is asymmetric. So the uh, particularly with new technology like guns, so that that's something that makes that really really asymmetric. And you really want to go after the people who just have the least ability to defend themselves. They're disarmed. They're poor. They have, they can't afford lawyers. They can't afford to. Yeah, you know, they don't have any friends in the media. They barely have. You know, they have dysfunctional families, and that can't help them. And that's the, uh, I mean, that's like the ideal target, even it, yeah. even though there's not much reward there because, you know, you're still robbing a poor person or you're still predating upon a poor person, you know, just because there's so much less risk right there. That risk is yeah. virtually zero, that this is just a guaranteed profit. It's, it's the low hanging fruit, perpetual low hanging fruit. So and if we could ahead. contextualize this in terms of current events, um, would you say that they, that they calculated the risk reward scenario correctly when they came out with uh vaccine mandates or the weekly testing they they i i would tend to agree with you as well i when they first came out with it my first reaction was okay there's going to be riots in the streets and i was wrong yeah no that there won't there won't be and the reason is these people all all have their own problems they're remember they're being paid to uh you know through welfare and unemployment and all that Mm -hmm. to you know basically don't rock the boat because that's like yep. the, you know, the dangling cord is that basically, Hey, that they're, uh, you know, they're paying you. So if you, you really don't want to cross them and yes. it's really, it'd be very, very quick for like, if black lives matter came out and really started causing problems for the Biden administration, he could pass one rule that says that you, uh, uh in order to qualify for welfare, you have to be current on your vaccinations. And mm-hmm. that's, that'd be the end of that. Yep. And yeah. And and they have to and they definitely understand that incentive because you know basically if you're paying for someone you basically own them and I think the majority of dissident right wingers 
run that risk reward scenario as well when they're trying to react to something like that, that mandate. And unfortunately, like I ran that risk reward scenario and there is no, there is no eventuality that I come out on top. So pretty much, I mean, I've, I've resolved to not get vaccinated. I will do everything within my, within my ability, whether, whether that means, you know, forging a vaccine card or moving or, you know, I'm in the prep stage right now. I know you're in Texas, so this like you don't really have to worry about it too much. It's different Not culture. Too much. But, but um, yeah, the uh, yeah, I understand exactly where you're coming from because it, you know, as a right winger, where you you know, if you were in a state, you know, that you basically they don't have to react to this because they're kind of safe already where they are. Like yep. that, that you know, the just the enforcement isn't there, and yeah. and. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, you can just think about this praxeologically as a predator. Remember, like the in in meet uh, uh, for like a Austrian uh, eco- economics, you know, the law of demand is based is based on you prioritizing you know your yep. most important actions first. This is the law of pseudo demand, where this is yeah. sociopathic economics, where uh, you you prioritize your best predation first and then go down from there. And yeah. th- and that's why there's no real good argument against archaeotropism. And some people have kind of tried, but there really isn't a good one. But th- because this is just basic praxeology, and they just want to just pretend this thing doesn't exist and shove it under under the rug. And I'm not going to let them do that. Yeah, I mean, if I could put myself in the brain of a capital L libertarian, I would come at you from, "Wow, this is really unprincipled." The nap, um, you know, you're. You're going to become the thing that you hate. But when I when I see like arguments like that in in other contexts, yeah, uh, I I think of is becoming the thing I hate worse than the current situation, and the answer is inevitably no. Well, it's also not you know not really a guarantee that you're going to become the thing you hate. You might become the thing you really love. You know that like you the might. person who's the the hero of the story who's giving the people all the liberty. You might be I loading mean, that- them into train cars. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like that, I mean, which is the good thing. I, I, yeah. Everyone understands that loading leftists into boxcars and you know throwing them out of helicopters is a good oh, thing. Oh no, I objectively the thing so. I hate. Oh man. Oh no, it's like those poor lefty bastards. It's wow, like they really didn't deserve that. <laughs> oh well. All right, fix bayonets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's like yeah, the uh, I always I joked a while back that when those. Uh, big earthquakes were hitting in Cascadia and uh, that, that, uh, you know, like Portland was like all the like commie central. <laughs> and it's like, there might be like, you know, like a big tsunami that comes through and, and rushes and, uh, you know, starts dragging all of these poor commies out to out into the ocean. And then you see a, a, a fleet of helicopters flying the Chilean flag coming to, uh, you know, rescue them. And then, you know, that the fleet of helicopters turns like further out to sea. Like, why are they going further out to sea? <laughs> just to make sure we got them all <laughs> but yeah so the uh, uh yeah but yeah so, so it, when you look at like these you know capital l libertarians it's like that you know they kind of just don't want to have this conversation of hey this is the and particularly which is funny because they called themselves the mises caucus <laughs> Yeah, and and, re- and really, they're more of the Rothbard caucus than the Mises caucus because you know their politics are far closer to Rothbard than they actually are Mises. Yeah, and yeah, you know, Mises was a, you know not quite a minarchist, but he like really didn't like the anarchist 
mostly because they were, you know, commies in his days. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, he, he, he talked much more pragmatically about, well, here's the incentive. Here's what we should probably do about it. And, you know, and he, and he had his reasons for it that I disagree with a lot of it, but, you know, it's like, at least I can understand where he's coming from. Whereas like these guys just want to completely ignore the, uh, you know, the, the idea that this thing has value for a reason. And now, some not of to it, take so, you off topic, but do you think there is a, a legitimate role the Mises caucus can play? Uh, kinda. It's like, but they're not, they're not leading with it. There's like, they talk oh. about like, uh, I, I, I just think, you know, national politics is such a lost cause. The idea that you're going to try to, uh, you know, convert a lot of people to me is a lost cause because this is not the incentive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're basically trying to convert a lot of just normies into full blown anarchists. I'm sorry. That just doesn't work that way. And what it, and what it really is, is just, you, you know, the, you should be playing to their incentives, not to their ideology. And, you know, this, this was actually something Roth, uh, uh, Ron Paul did fairly well, but you know, he did it in a, in the Republican primary, which is very, very densely packed with people who already probably are pretty dang close to him already. And, you know, like he's just like a few steps away from them. Whereas like the LP wants to go to like the general audience of, you know, the general American public, which, you know, mostly doesn't care. And is, you know, if you look at the polls, they're way more statist (laughs) than the, uh, yeah, yeah, than the Republican primary. And so the, uh, so like, but the, like the legitimate role I would say for like the, like the Mises caucus would be like when they talk about like local politics, because those are very, very winnable races. And Mm -hmm. if I were going to steel man the argument, I would say that, okay, well, the reason we would go in the LP instead of the GOP is that, you know, it's easier to maneuver if we have people who already think like us, like we don't have to have all those extra, extra debates. And, you know, boy, did that not work out the way they thought it would. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the, the, uh, that, but at least that's kind of the theory is that, you know, it's easier to maneuver when you are a one body of, you know, very, very similar mindsets, as opposed to, you know, like a big party, which has to be a big tent ideology. Uh, yeah. It has to be big tent and, you know, you can't quite maneuver with something like that, but the, uh, that would be the argument I would make is that, you know, that local politics argument and maneuvering, uh, for that sake actually makes quite a lot of sense, but they're not leading with that. So no, they're not. And oh. I, I, I would expand on that and say that, I mean, for as long as the libertarian party has been involved in electoral politics, uh, they're, they're really only s- only legitimate use of power that they have is to spoil elections and they can, they can leverage that power to maybe spoil elections for moderate Republicans for counties or States or, you know, uh, local elections where the GOP electorate needs another four years to simmer and seethe and radicalize. Yeah. I mean that, that could, that that's pretty much it. You know, the, uh, that's literally it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's that it's not much, and really, and because you can't spoil races for the Democrats. I mean, you can't run a lefty libertarian, and because you can't tempt the left with liberty. It's like no, they're here to take your liberty. <laughs> it's yeah. like oh, you have liberty, you have your liberty to offer to us. It's like oh yeah. no, that's not what you're talking about. We're not interested. <laughs> well, let's say you have a county election with the next iteration of John McCain, just a moderate Republican. Yeah, and then a you know a Ron DeSantis type pop, populist right winger. Um, if that John, if that John McCain type 
becomes the candidate, that's when the Libertarian Party can come in and siphon off that three to five percent in a close race and say, you know yeah. what? You deserve it, Republicans. Fucking radicalize. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Or it might just be easier to, uh, you know, oust that kind of guy in the primary. You could yeah. uh, you could have just put that effort in in a smaller election where, you know, I mean, if you understand like the inequality of power dynamics. It's like, would you rather, like, you as a libertarian are a small force, no matter what, would you rather be going up against a much bigger force or a slightly smaller force? You know, wh- which are yeah. your chances better in the primary election, which is a much smaller election, and you have the same amount of power, or the general election where you have a much larger, uh, you know, a power base that you have to, you know, conquer, essentially. <laughs> yeah, but that's what yeah. election is. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, and so it's like, the, even their spoiling thing is like because you can't spoil the left, and that what that might make it a, a decent weapon, but you can't. I mean, you can't spoil the left. You can only spoil the right, and mm. it's like that's not much of a weapon because you you only got one side. And it's like you might as well, it, it, you know, because it can't be used against both sides. Uh, you, you really, yeah, you, know, you might as well just like join them and try to oust them in their own uh primary because that isn't that it isn't a they're weapon not even behaving. The well, they're behaving their ideology instead of their incentives. Yes. <laughs> as, as, as why they're so unadapted. This is why they're stuck at three to five percent. Is that yeah. they're stuck in this you know mental rut where they've de- they've determined that they're going to be unadaptive. They're not going to adapt themselves to reality. They're going to you know just you know kind of whine that reality doesn't adapt itself to them. And it's a, you know the mark of a weak yeah. person, a weak-minded person is basically ideology. Yeah, and, and them acknowledging that you know their their power as a spoiler is really the only thing they can leverage. Uh, that's that's nowhere near in the conversation, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, most of the people that I talk to in the Mises Caucus are you know friendly to the idea of um, voting Republican if the right Republican was running. Yeah, uh, even then, but, but like that's them saying I want reality to adapt itself to me yeah. you know yep. the idea of the right candidate is basically what they however they define yeah. themselves yep. <laughs> it's the, i mean they're they're not adapting themselves to reality i mean they're yeah. not behaving their incentives and that's why they're not going anywhere and they're not their going standard anywhere. should be an anti-lockdown anti-mandate candidate <laughs> like that's it like yeah uh, it's like that you know even then it's like if you just ran at the local level you could you know ru- like legitimately run on nullification like hey we're not enforcing any of that shit here we're going to pass ordinances that say fuck you to the federal government and if you want to enforce your federal laws you know come and t- you know basically come and take it you know yeah. come and enforce them spend the money cuz they don't have the budget you know if you look at like uh when biden passed this osha law, law that oh you everyone has to be uh yeah, you know, vaccinated. All three OSHA employees were like, yeah, all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm, I mean, you know, if you understand, there's like two thousand OSHA agents. Most of them are not field agents, and the uh, and there's like twenty thousand municipalities in the United States. It's like the the municipalities alone outnumber the the agents on like a ten to one basis. I'm not they tell worried. you that in your mandatory OSHA ten training, like that, mm-hmm. that I have to take. They tell you that they're like, there's no like. There's no plausible way OSHA can be on even, you know, an infinitesimal amount of the total construction sites in existence. Pretty much. That's like exactly correct. It all relies correct. on reporting. Yeah, that's exactly correct. They cannot possibly do this. And, you know, so if, if you want to, as a libertarian party, if you want to just run on that, that like, hey, we're actually going to like force them to, you know, we're going to get in the way of reporting. We're going to get in the way of enforcement. 
And if they come in, you know, we're going to, you know, really get in their way and, you know, fuck them up. It's like that. I mean, that's an easy argument to make. Like we outnumber the bastards. <laughs> and yeah. if you, uh, if you just did it like that, that would actually be a really good instead you know, way of getting real power and doing real really real good things with it but they're they're not interested in that because that's again this is, this is an ideology for them not spreading the message of liberty bro yeah it's uh, the ideology of liberty rather than the uh the incentives of liberty yeah and yeah we're yeah whereas me with like mises gop it's like i don't you know because i'm understanding these incentives that i don't actually have to convert you know 150 million people to my my way of thinking i can just pay yeah. them to get the right just result <laughs> nudge them a little bit <laughs> even then i just like here's money how about my idea yeah <laughs> it's like yeah and they're like that sounds good to me and yeah. that's what like this this anti-tax idea that i came up with of you know using like you know kind of sovereign wealth funds at the local level and you know just having the uh the states you know, tax basically your local government, you know, because right now your local government probably has like eight to, you know, 14 months of uh, savings on hand. And Mm -hmm. that can all just be invested into a sovereign wealth fund and generate income, you know, like 10% a year. And, you know, just on average, and you could just easily put all of that to uh, like tax revenue or something like that. So where you don't actually have, you can actually generate your own tax cuts. And huh. the, uh, so uh, basically you could use this, uh, if you, it's a sovereign wealth fund grew big enough, you could uh, you know, have a tax-free government that doesn't have to cut a dime of spending. And like that, and so, you know, but where you can go with that is that if you have the, your state and federal government taxing that local sovereign wealth fund as a substitute for taxing you, then that basically, you know, when I pay any money into that sovereign wealth fund, I'm hitting all level, all three levels of government. Basically, I can pay all of my taxes in one go, and I can, you know, then turn around. Remember this? Uh, well, let me back up for a second. My third law of archotropism is that the value of power is uh, subjective. So, in other words, that like this is something that every Misesian Austrian should agree with: is that all value is subjective, and it just applies to power too. And the and what that means is that is also subject to time preference, which means you know, do I want a, a little less right now, or do I want more in the future? You know, and so you know what you could uh, you know, the offer you could make to the government is: hey, how about I pay you 10, 10 years of taxes right now, and you know, maybe I can take out a loan for it or something like that to pay to do it. But I'm going to pay you 10 years of taxes right now. And, you know, and in exchange, I'm free from all of your taxation for all time. And, you know, I like, and like, it's probably going to depend on the amount a little bit, but they'll probably take it. They'll probably take that idea. And now, because are you talking that's their about paying institutions or individual people, uh, like- you would pay it into the anti-tax. And, but because of, because of the nature of this thing, because it goes from basically your local level to your county, to your state and to the federal government, which in turn pays out all of these other people and, you know, by the hundreds of millions, what I've, what you've effectively set up is a way to, is a you know, way to centrally bribe 330 million people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, I can, I can pay what, you know, my 10 years of taxes into my into my local uh, sovereign wealth fund, my my local anti tax fund, and by doing so, bribe three hundred and thirty million people to stop aggressing against me and let me go and let me be free of taxation for all time. Yeah. And it's in, and it's in their incentive to accept because they're getting you know they're basically giving up 
you know, value in the future for value right now. And yeah. that's the, and that, I mean, that, that's the trade-off right there. And we know it will work because we've, we've actually seen it work plenty of times before. In fact, this is how we got private property 600 years ago in the first place was, you know, the uh, serfs, well, be, well, first off, you had the Black Death sweep through Europe and kill half the population. But by constricting the uh, supply of workers or skilled labor workers, you know, by half, you know, what happened was, you know, the price of their labor went through the roof. And eventually these uh, serfs were, you know, you know, basically their, their, their uh, wages almost, like more than doubled. So they were, ju- they were able to uh, just buy their own property and buy their freedom from the king. And Become the, the king, bourgeoisie. Yeah, ex- exactly. And that was exactly how, that, how we got private property in the first place. That's how we escaped feudalism is that, you know, the serfs just bought their way out of it. And, and now 600 years later, I just basically want to do the same exact thing where, hey, I want to go from this kind of semi-private property right now that I have to fully private property. And this is how I plan to do it is I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to pay them. And I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm just, all I'm doing is setting up a mechanism to where I can pay 330 million people to do it my way as opposed to yeah. their way. And yeah, that'll uh, work. I don't have I to convince them of my ideology. I could see that being very attractive to um, those that prioritize money um, as their as their main, you know, raison d'être. Um, yeah. But there are a significant amount of people, especially nowadays, that prioritize other things like, like, like you said earlier, fame and influence and activism. Um, how do you how do you handle that? Well, the, okay, so basically, because uh, you know, time is scarce in the sense that uh, you know, you, you're, there's only 24 hours in a day, so like anything that's kind of below the line doesn't get done. That those yeah. actions do not get performed. So if, you know, performing acts of power is not in your hierarchy, it's not high enough on your economic, on your uh, hierarchy of values, then effectively it never gets performed. So I only have to worry about the portion of the population that is kind of above the line. Yeah. So you have to keep acts of acts of any other type of power besides wealth, just lower on the ordinal scale of actions that need to be completed. Bingo. That's all I have all right. to do. And I'll, and because that's all subject to personal preferences, you know, I only have to work, you know, I, I don't have to bribe all 330 million people. Really. I just need to bribe the, uh, that, you know, that whatever percent of the population that are really just ransom. That's really what this is. Not really a bribe. It's a ransom. <laughs> yeah. It's a ransom payment that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, you know, these people have to get. And, you know, as long as I'm, and if you understand that wealth is power, that's you know what all they need and this you know and i have just uh, with this anti-tax mechanism because it's invested in the market it's invested in you know like returns on yeah on in assets that do provide a real return on investment because of that you know like i can put 10 years in it it accumulates at like an average of 10 percent a year and you know they're they have all of the taxes they're ever going to need for me for life basically and yeah Therefore, they don't have to. And it's like if it ma- mathematically would make sense to them that that uh, they can get all of that value right now and they and they don't have to worry about cutting taxes off for me in the future. Yeah. And if anything, it's like, the, like and I'm not going to be fighting them, obviously. So the, uh, you know, they can have all of the, all of the money they need and, you know, none of the fight from me. Yeah. That works out for them. And that- they, it's particularly again understanding their incentives that this is a risk reward trade off. They'd rather have me not fighting, you know, yeah. and 
they'd rather have me not trying to you know resist them and you know and uh you know pervert their system and do all these other bad things that they yeah. don't like because that's a cost to them and i'd and i would prefer not to have the hassle so the uh how about we you know just cut a deal and here's a mechanism that can help us cut a deal and yeah that's uh, that this is what you know why i say my, my uh, you know my uh idea is way better than the uh the mises caucus idea because uh, you know i don't need to convert you know, 150 million people to my way of thinking, which they do for their uh, idiot, for their strategy, they need to convert a significant portion of people to, uh, you know, the, the libertarian way of thinking. And again, as we already established, that's very difficult to do with, you know, an idea, you know, it's very difficult to convince people not to take uh, not, not, that uh, something that pays them is wrong. So the yeah. state exists and it pay and it pays most people. You know, most people are on some form of government service. Oh yeah, direct or indirect. Uh, we all, I mean, we all. As much as it, much. as much as it hurts us, it also benefits us. Yeah, it's like it's not it's not at all terribly bad. So, nah. you know the uh, so so yeah, if you have something like that, it's like you're going to have to convince all these people that something pays that that really pays them is wrong. And by the way, they do not feel the same way about aggression that you do. And yeah. so now you have to convince them of that. Oh, also, remember how we said that they're not uh, ideological thinkers, they're incentive-based thinkers? You actually have to first, in order to convert them to a libertarian way of thinking, you first first have to convert them from an incentive, evolutionary, Darwinian mm -hmm. way of thinking to an ideological way of thinking, which is already not in their nature, and then convert them to libertarianism. So This is what I like, found as well. Um, I yeah. guess I never, I've never articulated it this way, but... You know, my approach has been to convert their incentive, not so much to libertarianism, but to it, to further down their ideal, their logical, ideological conclusion. Um, Pretty much. And this is this is like uh, what you've talked about a little bit with accelerationism, which yep. is basically the same idea that you're just moving them along. And that actually helps, you know, it keys you into the like a self-segregation mechanism that mm -hmm. you're going to end up separating yourself from other people and you know, going into your own, uh, your own in group. Cause that's a, yes. it's an in group selection preference. And if I can make a left wing dissident or right wing dissident, I don't care as long as they're a dissident, as long as they realize yeah. that there is no coexistence that, that can happen in their, whatever ideal fantasy society they, they think can come about what there will be people like us. Mm -hmm. That's right. We're not going to be able to coexist. And yes. it's better to, you know, accelerate people into that and understand that this is not going to work out for us. So, yes. you know, because at, at that point, you know, it really lays out the incentive for people. Well, we're either mm -hmm. going to have a, you know, a conflict or we're going to cut some sort of deal, mm -hmm. you know, that pays that pay either pays you or pays me or pays us both somehow, preferably. And then we can and then we can just walk away. And I, so, and I view the, I view this mechanism of the anti-tax as that sort of deal that I think we could cut down the yeah, road. Yeah, it's it's not quite secession, but it is. Nope. Um, you know the the lines on the map stay the same, but they, you know that's in reality they, they don't reflect reality. <laughs> they do not. That is exactly it. And you know, and that's exactly where I want this to go. Is that you know, hey, you know, eventually, like I'm free of your laws. I am free of everything. Technically, the, the lines on the map stay the same, but the reality of the situation is I'm free and clear on my own private property, and I could give a shit what's going on elsewhere. You're making the regime superfluous. 
yeah, I, I, I'm I'm buying my way out, mm-hmm. and and all I'm doing is create. And because again, all, all these other people, to some degree or another, they want the predation because it has value to them. So all I'm doing is paying them that value. I'm giving them a direct payment to that value, you know, to to suffice that incentive. Once huh. their incentive is satisfied, I'm done. Yeah, and that's and, and so yeah, I don't need you know a large you know, army of libertarian activists. I don't need a, a giant super PAC with, you know, millions and millions of dollars in order to win. I just need them to, to uh, you know, I just need to get a few people together on a local level, you know, install the anti-tax, fund it with the reserves of tax taxes that have already been taken. And then, you know, I need to go lobby the, my state government and my federal government to basically raise taxes on that le- local fund and I'm all done. It's like, I think they can manage a raising of taxes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. especially voluntary. It's like that. That's exactly the thing is that, you know, if, if, if it's a substitution tax, not a ta- not really tax increase, but a tax substitution of, you know, one for the other, you're going to substitute in the anti-tax and, you know, for the, for the income tax or for a property tax or a sales tax. And, you know, once all of that is effectively paid, Oh, what do they care where it came from? Yeah. I mean, I think you would receive some pushback from a lot of, um, especially older folks that view, you know, filing your taxes as some type of deontological obligation. Um, there's still a lot of that around. Um, but I mean, I don't think that's. Well, I mean, the reason they want you to do that is they're behaving their incentive of, I want you to pay into this system that pays me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's particularly for older people. This is their social security and all that. And I'm just saying, here's all the money. It's like, I don't yeah. need to. I'm actually going to pay you 10 years in advance. And it's all going to be invested in, you know, re- you know, real securities and stuff that generates real income every year. You're familiar with this and you're old person for a 1K. And, yeah. you know, they know what, and, you know, all I'm doing is satisfying their incentive. And that's all I have to do in order to hack their behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a this is a, a human being hacked. This is how you hack the human system. That's like like if you were hacking a computer, you yeah. just pay it. Taking advantage of high time preference bureaucrats. <laughs> yeah, or, or really just hacking their time preference. I mean, it, I don't know about you know getting uh, how high time preference it is to take ten years. I mean, that's a, quite a lot of money. If anything, I'm doing the high time preference behavior. But oh yeah, you know, it depends on how you look, depending on what angle you look at it from. But uh, it's like, I really want my liberty. I have a high preference for that and I'm willing to pay for it. And, yeah. you know, you have a, a, like these other people, they have a, a, a preference for a predation and, you know, that they have it at, you know, kind of a steady annual rate, but I'm going to give them 10 years of annual rates right up front at there. So that's a, uh, like they, otherwise they would just have to wait for it. And I think mm-hmm. they'll be willing, willing to take the deal. It's a good deal. Yeah. And and where does this money come from again? Uh, like budget, the reserves surpluses. Basically, oh, if you right. look at your local governments, you know your local municipalities, they typically have like eight to fourteen months of reserves on hand. And like I I did a uh, a Q and A last night where people asked me like, how do you find out how much of a reserve fund my, your uh, your own local government has? And you know I actually took them through like and like here's a uh, like Lockhart, Texas, where you know, Buck Johnson is, you know, because he wants to run for mayor there or something like that. And, you know, I showed like, okay, well, here's how I would, and he wants to like install an anti-tax there. So I'm like, okay, well, here's how you would find out 
how much uh, money it has. And I took them, here's the website. You just find your local government's website. You go to like the finance section of the website. You look for the annual budget and you scroll down a few pages to the, the, the numbers pages. And you're looking for some light item that kind of sounds like reserves because they all say they all do it differently. But you can kind of tell what what's what. You're just learning how to read a balance sheet. That's all it is. And so in building 10 years worth of that sovereign wealth fund, you would have can that be done all at once or is that done over time? Well, basically, it's like, OK, what would my taxes be for 10 years? What's 10 years of my taxes look like? So I don't know if I'm paying, you know, 4000 a year, uh, to, you know, multiply that by 10. And, you know, that's 10 years, right? And so that's 40,000. I just have to get $40,000 and put that in and I'm free and clear. It doesn't hmm. matter what everybody else is, you know, but it just matters what's my personal rate that they're pertaining. Yeah, you on. can take out a loan or whatever. Exactly. That's exactly it. And for yeah. that amount, you know, it's, that's just a, it's, you know, a small, that's it. Well, not a small loan, but so, so, you know, it's like a student loan, you know, you could, yeah. it's affordable and- <laughs> I mean, like if it, it works out, then yeah, that's that's infinitely more valuable than a student loan. Yeah, exactly. Much better return exactly. On investment. <laughs> exactly, it is. And uh, so, like, I could be, uh, you know, I don't know. Like last year, I paid. God, it sucked. It was uh, $26,000 $26, in total taxes for like state, federal, county, and local, and yeah. it sucked. But the uh, I don't know, multiply that by ten, it's two hundred sixty thousand. That's substantially more than my mortgage. But you know, it's like it's not entirely unaffordable. It's like I could probably make it work, particularly if my wife finally, uh, you know, graduates, gets her nurse, you know, and she gets her nursing degree, gets a nursing yeah. job, and my girlfriend you know, just like, got hers, and she's uh, on an overnight mm -hmm. differential. It's something crazy, like she's making in like the low forties. Like, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's good. I mean, that, like that amount of income is like all of a sudden that loan looks affordable and yeah. might be well worth it to, uh, you know, be, to, uh, be, you know, tax free for the rest of my life for that amount. And, yeah. you know, it depends on what the interest rate is, but if it's like anything like a mortgage rate that could work and that could be well worth it. And I don't have yeah. to convert anybody. I just have to take over my local government. Shouldn't be that hard considering these elections go for like maybe 1500 bucks. Yeah. You're, like my, you're relying on your local government to negotiate with the county, state and federal to make mm -hmm. that happen. Right. And yeah. really what yeah. all I you know, really, I could do that as a lobbyist where I just write it into the law. Yeah. And you know, I pay yeah, the one politician these, like, to pass it. Then rubber stamp. Six thousand page omnibus laws. There you exactly. Go. <laughs> they don't read the bills. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like you just get it. One of them passed. You pay one of the politicians to yeah. do it, and all done. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't have to worry about them anymore. I just bought my freedom. It was expensive, but it worked. Yeah. And it's like I don't hear anybody else with a real plan like that. And no. this is just well, it's just wealth, power, and influence state edition. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that seems preferable to, uh, you know, you know, Fed posting. <laughs> Insert yeah, exactly. Fed post here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like, and I'm not like threatening anybody. That's like the best part of this thing is like, there's no real conflict. I don't have to fight the government and they don't have to fight me. It's like, yeah. we can kind of just get along and pay each other and we're all done. And yep. at that, and at that point, there's no need for conflict. There's no need for, 
you know, oh, I need to martyr myself and I need to go down shooting at the government and like, no, no, no need for that. You know, it's like, that's stupid. I don't want to fight yeah. my government. I, just, I, I don't, they're going to win. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I can't take them. So the, uh, you know, I just, I just want to pay them and be done. And it's like, it's like, I understand the way this is, this is a ransom paven. I'm not looking at this in any other way. I know I'm very clear. eyed. this is a ransom. They've got me hostage. So let's see. You know, okay. Let's work out a deal. How much is it going to cost? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think that alongside, um, more agitation, more dissidents would be even more of an incentive for them to look for an out to stop the carnage. Pretty much, uh, the, the oh, public yeah. opinion carnage. Well, yeah, because if you look at what they're doing here, you know, it's like they're causing all of this chaos and panic so they can power grab, so they, they can, you know, c- continue this uh, predation racket that they've got going. And, you know, they're just squandering it more and more and more and more. And I figure, okay, well, how about we stop the squandering and we just pay you and we're fine. And that point, you know, you're golden for another few, yeah. you know, decades. How does that work out for you? Right? Yeah. You know, doesn't that sound better? <laughs> what if I <laughs> told you secession would never trend on Twitter ever again? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like you can let, let the secessionists pay you for their yeah. freedom and they're gonna, just going to go away. You don't have to worry about them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, like instead of them shooting at you, you know, they can pay you money. And yeah. you can use that money to buy votes any other way you want. This is yeah. a good deal. It's like, like, like literally because the alternative is like bullets. So yeah. <laughs> bullets flying at you. So like take the pick. It's like, this is a good deal. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent convinced <clears throat> that they'll be convinced. No, just knowing what I know about the nature of uh, progressivism, the nature of uh, neo like the neoliberals we see every day on the timeline. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong. Basically, it's like, I think they really like fucking like just, yeah. Engineer, they need to engineer society. Yeah. uh, It's really just a question of how much is it going to cost? It might be 10 years. It might be 11, might be 12. There's a number. I guarantee there's a number. Everybody has a price. Everybody has a price. All I need to do is figure out what that average price is and pay it. That's it. This is a really simple engineering solution of, you know, all I need to do is make a mechanism where I can pay these people and figure out their price. That's it. All done. Yeah. And I think the number will be probably somewhere around 10. Uh, It's just that uh, call it a hunch. I think that's number is going to be somewhere around 10 just because that's, that works out mathematically for what they would need. So yeah. I think yeah, that's it, the, uh, the, the the way forward. That's what I'm doing with Mises GOP. It was a, a, a super PAC I made, you know, specifically to do this. Huh. And, yeah. you know, there's there's more to the plan that, I, you know, I haven't publicly disclosed. But, you know, this is the the basic idea of, you know, what I want to do is just, you know, pay them to go away. Pay the yeah. ransom. And it's it's things like this, these, um, you know, novel, innovative ideas that come even further from my right or left, um, mm-hmm. depending on the day. Um, and I that, think this is something that will be mainstream adopted just because this is in their incentive. I understand what their incentives are. I understand it what this needs is, to what, work once. <laughs> exactly. It's like that, you know, I know what they want, what, what they, how they want to be paid. It's just a question of the, of the amount. That's all it is. And you know, I can make that work. So yeah. 
that's uh, so yeah it's like the the uh i think this is the way libertarians really need to start thinking because you pretend that you understand this praxeology thing you know of human behavior and human incentives but you're like you're missing out on like the one third of it that you know is predation if you look at the yeah. you know how much the government is it's usually around one third of the total economy one third of the gdp is the state you know at state local federal county level and all that you know you add that all together it's about a third of the, of the economy so if you only want to focus on the free market, I'm saying that in air quotes because I don't think that's real. <laughs> it's nope. not free to market. We're not in a free market by any stretch of the imagination. And but if this is a, uh, you know, hey, if if they're about a third of the economy, uh, it really behooves you to understand them, you know, and understand their behaviors, why they're doing it, like what what is the the rhyme and reason to this thing because clearly something that like an institution like the state that has existed from like the dawn of human civilization till now and has only grown you know more powerful and uh, more influential uh since its inception uh you would think that okay this is something that probably isn't going away and there's probably some a system there's a system of incentives that's driving this because this isn't yes. like a fluke it's not a fluke you know it's a, there must be some sort of system that is causing this thing to work the way it does so it, you would think you'd like you'd want to understand that and it, i just don't get why they they don't want to understand this thing it's like you, you i mean you would even think like with uh, like sun tzu you know know your enemy Duh. Yeah. and because uh, like this is like the uh like I invented archotropism when I was like 24 and, you know, which was, you know, only a few years ago and like, like four years ago. And, you know, it's like, and I can tell immediately what the, what the correct solution cr criteria should be for how you would deal with a government like that, how you yeah. would deal with the, with the state based on its incentives, just like that. It's like, I did it as a 24 year old and they've been here for like 70 years and they haven't figured this out. And now, do you derive incentives uh, based on like historical data, or is it all um, a priori? Uh, historic, you know, it, it's uh, a, it's a priori, but you can you can verify it using history. Like, yeah. you know, like what I did with the uh, like that that uh, like that third law of archotropism, where hey, you know, there's a, the time preference hack one, where hey, everything's subjective or all the value is subjective and you know, subject to time preference and you just, you know, port value from the future into the present. And that's how you hack that. So what I did, you know, the way I can, I can prove that one three different ways where, you know, one was the, the one I gave you was how we got private property the first time around, you know, where the serfs bought their freedom from the feudal lords, they brought, they bought the property. And so from there, and I can also look at like in Colorado when they legalized weed, you know, like it's like they didn't do that out of the kindness of their hearts. They were facing like a twenty-five percent budget deficit. You know, they were like they were they were facing bankruptcy. And you know what? Did, and and shocker, what did that legalization of liberty? You know, what did that legalization of marijuana come with? It was a twenty-five percent tax hike. You know, and yeah, exactly. It was exactly the amount they needed, and it, and it cut their budget deficit by ninety-eight percent. Shocker. Huh. You know, it's exactly <laughs> what this was. This is what that was. It was a trade. You, like it was it wasn't like a win for liberty it's like you got it's like calling a 25% tax like a win for liberty like no you're retarded <laughs> that is not what this was it's like this was a trade all it was I kept was a trade people don't delete your dealer's number <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i can prove this uh, this other one a third way to you cuz like you know whenever they say uh oh we're going to have tax cuts 
well, what do they say? What's the justification? Explicitly, the justification is that we're going to cut taxes, it's going to grow the economy, and then we're going to get more money on the back end. If that's not low time preference, what is? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like they're explicitly telling you, like, I'm cutting my power in the present so I can have more power in the future. Yeah, I mean. That is time preference right there. That's all that is. It's like, and that you're saying you're going to pay more money to them in the future once the economy grows. And uh, like they explicitly tell you this and like, it's a win for liberty, win yeah. for liberty. And, and they don't, they only look at the input. They don't look at the result. And the result is that the government is more powerful than ever before because they have more money. You know, yeah, because of the tax cut. So it's, it's like you increase the size of the market that the state is predating upon. It's like, this is not a win for liberty. Okay, that's not what this looks like. And this is a trade. And understand that this is a trade. You traded liberty. And so if you somehow, as like you, they, they traded power for liberty. That's all that is. And so if you're, you should always just look at it that way where, okay, I'm going to pay money in 10 years of taxes into the anti-tax. They'll, they'll, they don't have to worry about me any, anymore. Uh, I get my liberty. They get their power. Substantially more power. 10 years worth of extra power in one go like that. And, yeah. you know, it's like, that's what this is. It's like, all I'm doing is buying it from them. Yeah. And it's a different uh, way of thinking. So they just don't like hearing that because they like pretending that they're victorious and they're not. They're you know yeah. at 1% because they're unadaptive <laughs> and ideological. And I, I I wish them well. I wish Dave Smith well. I've Me too. I've you know been pretty vocal on that front. I, I hope he does spread the message of liberty. I hope he you know pushes people that are maybe on the fence, maybe some moderates, pushes them even just a little bit. That would be cool. But anyways, yeah, be nice. run, so run, give me give me a quick breakdown of your laws of archotropism. Okay, well the first one what you know was that the uh, the value of power is relative. You know, basically the uh, the value of power can neither be created nor destroyed. Uh, it can only be changed in one form to another or fr- or, or handed from one wielder to another. And right. the value of power is always conserved. So yes. because it's relative, you know, it is basically relative to your ability to defend yourself from it. It's political yeah, well, thermodynamics. Politi- yeah, it's the first law of our, uh, of a thermodynamics. It's a restatement of that. But right. it's not the power itself that is always conserved because you can make more power. But when you do, it's basically diluting all of the pre-existing power. And this is why the left views production as predation. <laughs> like, yes. if, you, if you fast forward to the second law, which is that the uh, ex- it is uh, power seeks consolidation from high from a low concentration to high concentration. In other words, the strong prey upon the weak. And predation is defined as the consolidation of power. And this is exactly the less definition of it, because when you're out there producing more wealth, which wealth is power, so you're producing more power, you are consolidating power, you know, just by production, they view, this is the the reason why they view production as predation, because they can see you consolidating power to them, to yourself, and they don't care how that that how that how legitimate or not you think it is for to them that's predation you're consolidating power and they don't like that that's not in their incentive because understand this whole this whole uh they're right that the value of power is a, is zero sum this is where that zero sum fallacy comes from is that they're actually correct is that you know because there are two kinds of value one is the predation value one is the economic value the economic value is positive sum and the the predation value is zero sum. And so they're only so when they're talking about the value of 
you know, some form of wealth and they're saying it's zero sum, they're talking about the predation value, not the, not the production value or the economic uh, value. They're not talking about that. So we're actually talking about two different things when, you know, your libertarians and your commies are trying to have a, a discussion. Yeah. They're talking about two, yeah. two, two, and, two completely different subjects. And it, it, it's funny because they, they can both arrive at the same conclusion from completely different directions. <laughs> yeah. And they, they often do for this reason. But uh, and then you can go to the third law is that, you know, basically the value of power is subjective. So not only is it relative, it's also subjective to personal preferences. And yeah, so the uh, that and basically you can you know, the most important part of that is it's subject to time preference. So your lefties are going to be your your really, really high time preference for power. They really want to consume all of the power at once. And it's like they, they, you know, if you, it's like they want to consume all of the marshmallows right now. <laughs> They're like, don't want to wait. All of the, all of the marshmallows need to get consumed right now. And and I, I hear like one pushback that's okay, fairly legitimate. That okay, well, you know, it seems like the lefties really have a, the ability to wait. It's like really because if it was up to them, if they were dictator, you know, what would we be doing? We, we would all be starving to death right now. So. The fact that we're not means they're not getting their preference. So like they're being forced to wait. They're not waiting willingly. So it's like that, that that's the pushback on the idea that, you know, the left has just this inc- incredible ability to wait to get power and they have like, <coughs> long-term planning or whatever. Like, no, they're being forced to wait. They, yeah, they, if this were maybe, up to them. Maybe certain factions. Yeah. But, maybe there might be certain factions of them that, that have that ability. The majority but, in the, in the oh, political process right now. Don't have yeah, like ninety nine percent of leftists don't have that ability. They want it all right now, and the fact that they haven't gotten it all right now is why they're pissed. <laughs> you know, and you know your right wingers are kind of more in the middle, where they have kind of a half half production. You know, they they can kind of see both sides, but not neither. They can't see either of them very well. And uh, you you have uh, someone waiting for you. Huh. Yeah. All right. Anyway, the. Uh, but yeah, like like they 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 can't the right can't see either of them very well, but they can kind of see okay. There's the the incentives of production and the incentives of predation, and we're not quite sure they can't. It's kind of like a color blindness. <laughs> you know, the the left is colorblind to all of the colors of production, so they can't see it. It doesn't. It might as well not exist to them. The right can kind of see both kind both the colors of production and predation, but can't really distinguish either very well. And the libertarians on the really far right, they can really see the colors of production really well, but they can't see the colors of predation at all. And so it, the, the, this idea, it just basically doesn't exist to them. They can yeah. see that they, they can see it exists, but they don't really, they can't distinguish it. They can't understand how this thing is working because they can't see it. It's, it's a lot like colorblindness. And yeah. that's how I differentiate, uh, you know, libertarians from right wingers from, uh, lefties is by their time preference for power. It's like, what are they able to see? And you can also see like moderates in the middle, because if you imagine that everything's kind of a bell curve and most people are kind of in the middle. And that's why you have a political system that tends toward moderates, a whole bunch yeah. of moderates. And, you know, probably a little, and since it's easier to infantilize people with high time preference behavior, because again, how, you know, why are so many uh, kids you know, really, really ultra leftists and liberals because they're high time preference. That's the, the way they're evolved to be. You know, children are high time preference. That's just mm-hmm. how children are. And they're, they're high time preference in all things, not, you know, not just like one thing. They're, it's an all thing because that's just how yeah. they are. They haven't lived long enough. Even, and, even, 
even the like the high schoolers that are destined to become like 4chan frog people, they're they're still pretty high time preference. Pretty much. And, and I mean, that's not to say that that can't be leveraged in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, like like exactly how you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I and, mean, you, and you see it on the opposite end too with the old people. They get to be much lower time preference and more right wing as they get older. The reason is mm-hmm. they're, this is their time preference for power. It goes down like all of their other time preferences. That's just yeah. how it is when you get old. And the uh, so I mean, and this is a way you can really predict how people are going to believe and how they're going to behave. It's a really really easy way of doing it. And so and and uh, the fourth law of archetype. But basically, my first three, I I kind of divide them into the first three and the second three. The first three, I call them like the protogenic ones. They're the ones that are causing the whole situation. And the last three are what I call like the mutagenic ones. They're the ones that are mutating the prior three. And they're giving you all of the variation that we see in the states. They're mutagenic. They cause mutation. And mm-hmm. so that the fourth one is that basically this is your, uh, your, va- your definition of power is that it is force over distance and time, which is very, very close to the uh, definition of power in thermodynamics, where de- this, the difference would be that uh, distance is in the numerator, so it's on the top of the equation rather than the bottom in thermodynamics, whereas here it's on the bottom because it's a cost to power. And uh, the more, and you just think about it logically, the more power and, and influence you have to spread over a wider and wider and wider area, the less effective it really is. Because, you know, and that, that distance, area is time. Well, it's, it's time and distance. Because think about like this, like, you know, have you, can you name one example of a state that has benefited from prolonged warfare? Nope. <laughs> this is the yeah. reason why is that, you know, time is also a cost to power and time and distance. So in other words, to have to project power over, mil- over thousands and thousands of miles is extremely expensive just because it's so far away and there's so much distance in between there. And the thing about like, in order to, you know, actually have power over someone, you have to physically be there to physically coerce them. Like, uh, like a criminal can't co I can't, you know, hold up a gun across the screen and get you to do what I want because you're not here. You're at somewhere really, really, really far away in parts unknown. And the, uh, so like, you know, I would actually have to physically be there with my gun to, you know, coerce money out of, out of you. Yeah. Like if you aren't physically there to apply power, you don't have power over them. Yeah. So you're not you have, to have to opportunity, capability and intent. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, this, and, you know, to, in order to do that, you know, it's going to cost me money to go do that to you. And like, I'm going to have to buy an airfare or, and fly and, you know, sneak my gun on the, on the plane and not get caught by TSA, which should be easy. They missed 95% of it. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like the, uh, yeah. And that's going to cost me time off of work. And it's time I have to go, I could go. And that's an opportunity cost there. And, you know, you can see very logically that, you know, you know, time and distance are a cost to force. And the more and the the longer it's going to take me to do something like that to you, the less valuable it is to me. And it's and it's given that this is all uh, proportions, you know, as we established in the second law, it's all proportions. So that's why it's a a, a quotient function. It's why it's a, a divisor function. You know, where you're a uh, you're dividing instead of subtra- subtracting, because again, this is all percentages. And hmm. so. You can think about it that way. And the fifth law is is the uh, basically this is the uh, law of diminishing returns equivalent for predation, whereas the it was basically the second law of thermodynamics uh, verbatim, 
which is that all po- you know all power accumulates entropy over time. You know, it all it's all you know all power is subject to chaos and accumulates chaos over time. This is the I I, I on my PowerPoint I literally just copy pasted the second law of thermodynamics because it's perfect. And the, and the reason for this is the law of diminishing returns that you know it could, because this uh, any time you create a power system it is uh, pretty definitionally unresponsive to the whims of people. <laughs> so it's unresponsive to the market. So it, when, when, so the times it is most responsive is like the times of upheaval when a new system is being established. So out with the old, in with the new, and the new one stays there for like 80 years and you know, or something like that. And, and you know, because it doesn't really change what you get to is like 80 years later where your system of governance was established for a, just a different time. It was a different place, a different period. They had different technology, different incentives, different people with different beliefs, and that's all changed. And But we still have this old system and it just needs to be thrown out <laughs> because it doesn't have value anymore. Its value diminishes over time. That's what ha- that's exactly what you're looking at with this. Uh, you know, basically, the second law of thermodynamics and the fifth law of archotropism is that the value of any sort of power system you create will diminish over time. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's that that fits right right in with uh, accelerationism. You want to accelerate that entropy. You yes, know, instead yes. of it having instead of having that power structure uh, be effective for eighty years, you want to reduce that down to say thirty or fifteen. Or something, yeah, uh, something of ideally. that sort. Yeah, well, you want it as responsive to you know public demand as possible, really, and uh, you know because that's really what causes you know growth, you know, and so to speak. So hmm. the but and this and I think you just kind of uh, mentioned uh, you kind of segued me perfectly into the sixth law, which is based on pent up demand behavior. Well, if you understand that order and chaos are mutually exclusive and they're also kind of mutually aggressive <laughs> so that the uh, both sides really want to force their version on the other. Like the left wants to force chaos onto the right and the right wants to force order onto the left, you know, kind of as a response, you know, the right is really more free that they really just, they want to be left alone that cause that's, that's an orderly behavior is to just leave people alone. You know, like don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. That's a pretty orderly behavior. And but chaos, by definition, it demands order. It demands to, you know, it's, you know, no one likes a panic except the left. Yeah. They kind of love that shit because they get the power graph. But, but whose order? <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's, ex- and they want more of a tyrannical and evil order, you know, or, ca- or they want to, uh, you know, have a, a chaos structure rather than a, uh, a, a good spontaneous order structure, you know, that the right likes to do but there but so once you understand that these things are mutually exclusive well what happens when you know one side overreaches that's when the other side turns reactionary and gets really really pissed and starts really pushing back and that's a pent-up demand behavior because what's happening is like if you have a uh anytime you have like a a shortage of order that you know you have like a chaos you know if like if chaos outbreaks and you have a panic that you can view that as a shortage of order you know, if you imagine your, you know, your supply, your supply and uh, demand uh, lines, and you have like the price floor right there, and that's the, uh, you know, or like, your price ceiling right there, and that w- was what causes the shortage. You know, it's below equilibrium and all that. You can kind of imagine this in your head, and you just say, okay, well, this is for the the uh, the supply and demand for order, and 
you know, anything below the equilibrium is basically we, we want, uh, you know, this is a shortage of order. This is a, this is a, this is what chaos looks like. And you could say the opposite on the other side, where if you're having way too, too much order and the left is just like, we could easily predate on all of this. You know, there's so much wealth here for us to, for us to consume. And, you know, they get pissed that, oh, you know, all this inequality or whatever. And, you know, now they turn reactionary and because they want to predate on all of it. And mm-hmm. this and this is why you, you went with the sixth law of Arcotopian is that a, an overreach uh, from one side demands an equal and opposite overreach from the other side. So basically, this is your your basically your third law of our, of uh, thermodynamics where, you know, you ha- any action. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I think it's the first law. Or is it, no, no, no. Third law. I had it right. The third law, where you, th- third law of thermodynamics, where any, any action demands an equal and opposite reaction, yep. and this is where it's coming from. And, and I just noticed this. This is how I noticed the noticed it the first time around. Is that these uh, uh, power behaviors with humans? They seem to mimic thermodynamics somewhat. You know, it's, it's not a direct mimicry, but it's very close. And that was how I figured out the the last three was that I just noticed that. There was this behavior with the first law, yeah. with the first law that, and this, and kind of with the second law too, where they seem like they're behaving the way uh, just physics behaves. And so I thought, huh, I wonder if there's anything anything to that. And I started looking around for you know these other behaviors that were similar to thermodynamics. And what do you know? There they are. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and that's how I found the second three. What you know, and uh, but yeah, so so like you know when you have like the and you'll see like with the the right and the left you know, when you have like one of them wins an election and then the next year, the other one will sweep the midterms. This is the reason why is that, okay, one side, you know, overreaches has too much power. Most people are kind of in the middle and they want a more middle preference. So what they'll do is they'll elect the other side to check them. Yep. And you'll see that every single election. Depending on the intensity of the win and the intensity of the victory and how they, how they employ their newfound power. Yeah, you will see that equal and opposite reaction. Well, and and, and so what happens is that both sides end up reacting against the middle. <laughs> it's fun, yeah, and so it's great. At, I love it. So yeah, and after like three elections of I got nothing. You had the first two years all to yourself, and you got nothing. Ah, and the, you know both sides do that, <laughs> and the, and then they turn reactionary. You know, and the and yeah. they react and it against the middle. For the level of polarization that we see today. Which I think Bingo. is fucking amazing. Yeah, I that's mean, why this is why it's never been easier to push people. Yes, yeah, this is why I call this the most explosive of the of the six laws. Literally, sometimes, <laughs> and because and you can also it also works on like the real hardcore macro scale too, on like the multi thousand year time scale, which is like you know if you if you think of uh like where we were as a species fifteen hundred years ago when Christian when Christian monarchy started, because you think of like. Christianity and monarchy, these are like a really, really spectacularly low time preference uh, religion, yeah. which is Christianity. Hereditary monarchy is like lowest time preference yeah. government. Bingo. So you put the two of them together and you have really low time preference for 1500 years. Yeah. And, and then so, and you have all of that wealth accumulation. Cause think about it, like we were at Rome and we were like brushing our teeth with urine back then because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like the you know, urine has ammonia in it, which is a bleaching agent, yeah. and you can actually like really brush your teeth with piss. And 
So anyways, like that's where we were as a species. And then 1500 years later, we're talking on, you know, a, a video streaming and stuff like that. <laughs> and, yeah. but before that we had the, uh, so basically if you can look at that on a macro level as like a real overreach of the right, because remember the right is low time preference. So if you, uh, so, and then, you know, the left in response, you know, decide, Hey, wouldn't industrialized warfare be a great thing. And we had World War One and World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's what a, that's what 1500 years of power accumulation looks like. And a bit, you know, this was a binge on all of that power yeah. that we created. And the and, Reformation and the Enlightenment are all, you know, liberal, liberal reactions to conservatism in the ascendant. Yeah. These are, yeah, these are much more self-centered, high time preference reactions to the low time preference of the right for 1500 or at least a thousand years if you're going to only to the reformation which you know, okay you can argue when that began but the uh but yeah like if you're talking with luther which is like traditional you could also say the eastern orthodox was like the first reformation ish i don't yeah. i don't but you know I, I usually say that you know it's 1500 with at, at uh, luther so he's in the uh 1540s ish and so like you know he gets to there and you know, now it's, it's all a self-centered, uh, you know, view of Christianity and you get the rise of left-wing liberalism from there. The sixth law goes, you know, bet at, at basically every scale. And you can also see it down like, like, like the family scale where if you have like an overbearing parent who's like trying to give you way too much structure, you're going to have a really rebellious kid. Whereas if you have just like a complete laissez-faire parent, a lot of times the kid will end up being like, no, we need a lot more rules and order and I need structure. And yeah, you know, it's like they, they will be reactions to <laughs> the <their> parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my, uh, parents, the, my parents leaned more laissez-faire, and you know, I I can't wait to have kids and fucking rule them with an iron fist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> domination. You will submit. I am king of this household, <laughs> and uh, will deal before me. Yes, near, <laughs> deal before the patriarch. <laughs> <laughs> you will call me sir. Yes. And that don't you ever talk back to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to, uh, that's going to be a fun one for me too. I'm going to enjoy it, but I got a good, ba I got a decent balance, but I'm still, you know, like, okay, because there's so many more fuck ups in my family who clearly did not have nearly enough structure. <laughs> and, uh, I still reacted against that. Like, okay, we still got to eat some extra discipline yeah. in order. And, uh, exactly. but yeah. And so, so the, I mean, you can even see it down at the micro level, but for, for the sixth law of archetopes, because it's just basic human reactions, it's pent up demand, you know, at, you know, and whichever side gets its way, the other side gets pent up demand for its thing and turns reactionary against. Now, how would you feel about replacing the term chaos with equality? Because the way I view the difference between left and right is I agree completely, the, mm -hmm. the right values order. And the mm -hmm. left values equality. Yeah, well, you can look at higher uh, you know, equality versus hierarchy as two mm -hmm. uh, consequences of the time preference for power. So yes. if you look at like, so think about like, you know, it, a hierarchy is based out of wealth. That's what that is. So if you have a low time preference for, you know, for power by, nece by necessity, that's going to mean more for the more for the regular economy, which creates more wealth, which creates more hierarchy. And that's the consequence. That's the natural consequence of a low time preference for power. Whereas a high time preference for power sees all of that hierarchy. He's like, mm, that looks delicious. I should eat all of it. And mm. you know, it wants to consume and consume and consume. Yeah. And you get closer and closer to equality. I that's really want to flatten is. that hierarchy, but I also kind of want to be it. 
Yeah, exactly. And they, they, they find that out real quick. Like, you know, it's not, it's actually not that bad. And uh, <laughs> once they get a real taste of it, they're like, yeah, bad actually. And they end yeah. up turning right wing. <laughs> it was just kind of, right, yeah. or at least more, not like right wing, but like no, more he, to the right. They moderate. Even, even Lenin said like, you know, he was a right wing communist. You know, he didn't want, he, he, he viewed hierarchy as absolutely necessary. Yeah, because that's a, it's an efficiency mechanism. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a, like, you know, in the transition to you know a classless, stateless society, mm-hmm. you need a hierarchy yeah, exactly. in the in the interim. Of course, and it has to have me at the top of it because <laughs> you know, oh, there's yeah. no other way it could work. Obviously, uh, it may, he was the <laughs> smartest guy in the room. <laughs> he really was, and uh, but and that was the problem. Because yeah, everyone else was that stupid. They didn't see it coming. <laughs> it's like you if there's ever a time machine you could go back and say, no, 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 put a bullet in Lenin's head. No, no, no. He, right there. <laughs> he you rolled go back in t- his grave when Stalin <laughs> took power. Let me tell you that. Like reading his writings, like mm-hmm. especially as he was, you know, nearing his death and he knew it, he really did not want Stalin in there. He viewed Stalin like a fucking redneck. Yep, that's about right. But he took it <laughs> anyway. Still <laughs> happened. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean that. So if you look at like equality and hierarchy, these are natural consequences of people's time preference for power. And you can say maybe this is the reason why they see it that way is that these are you know kind of what they're moving forward, and the, like one is the means, the other is the ends. So mm-hmm. they're and and they are directly connected. So uh, so viewing uh viewing the left as high time preference for power and viewing them as wanting equality, these are in fact the same exact thing. And same thing with the right is that. You know, whereas that they want a a low time preference for power and to create lots of hierarchy, and those are necessarily the same thing. And you can also see a, see the same thing with libertarians, where they say, "Well, we want voluntary. Doesn't matter if it's hierarchy or quality, not really, but <laughs> that but uh, we just want it to be voluntary, and that's a zero time preference for power because they're all the way at the end of the uh, yeah. end end of the end of the spectrum where yeah." And they really are on the spectrum. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> that's a double meaning, double entendre right there. When I say yeah. they're on the spectrum, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they really want it. All, you know, like a zero or near zero time preference for power, which basically means it's all voluntary. So there's basically no consumption of power, which but, jives but, perfectly but, with human nature. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Not at all. <laughs> it's like you—you you really missed this one. It's like like, the, and they hate it when I when I nail it that way. When I talk about yeah. it that way, because it's so disproves everything they want. Because basically, it's like, hey, you need to convert all of these people's time preferences to basically zero. Yeah. It's like, and ooh, is it's, that a tough? One? It's not that we don't have that preference. It's that we've looked we we've looked at the data, and uh, you know, just not there. We are not there right now. <laughs> And uh, so that the probably uh, won't be for another thousand. Maybe after the nuclear war, the mass civil upheavals, and the complete breakdown of order. Well, what yeah. we, well, well, no. What we really need is another thousand years of Christianity <laughs> to <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> hardcore Christianity <laughs> and some hereditary monarchies who yeah get us there. <laughs> it's like, come on, libertarians, what are you afraid of? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, ooh. You lost me at the hardcore Christianity part because <laughs> really they don't want it either. And if you, no. it, 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 that's why, that's why I kind of think, ah, these guys are kind of lying about, you know, when they say they, they want, they really want this. I'm like, do you really? I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> and I uh, think you would die. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think you, I think they would hate it before they died <laughs> yeah. and then they would, they would hate it and then they would die. But yeah. the, uh, 
yeah, there's like they, like they they don't want the all that all the uh, level of responsibility and low time pressure that that, that comes with. And well, so, all the traditions that we that we look at right now is archaic and outdated. Um, they arose out of a out of a period in human history that was infinitely more libertarian and they were a response to environmental factors like yep. you shouldn't go out and fuck everybody you know because mm-hmm. you'll either have an unwanted pregnancy and need more resources or get a disease or whatever or you'll be shunned from your community um like pretty much that that stemmed from a much more limited government libertarian period in human history so if we were to achieve that level of libertarianism then guess what? Those traditions would suddenly mean something. Yeah, and that basically the, the uh, you know back then the, the governments were really limited by poverty. <laughs> if you want to yeah. think about it that way, is that you know the uh, you know that, that remember that fourth law of archotropism where you know it's like force over distance and time. Well, if you're a fucking poor, that you know you can't do much distance and you can't do much time and you can't afford much force. So that's like, that's the reason why you had, uh, like monarchy has a really bad scaling scalability problem is that, uh, it, you know, has like, there's like, uh, I actually wrote these down uh, a little bit ago, but it has like four major scalability problems where you are, uh, should we call it one second? Let me pull this up. Yeah. It's like, like right, you know, right there you have, uh, uh, one, no consent of the people because remember if you give people consent they'll actually consent to quite a lot more tyranny than you would have thought mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why if you have like a republic that you know because it's technically represented <laughs> well, whatever make you say that yeah <laughs> it's like you know it's like did we just live through 2020 where like half of the country is like no they're not doing enough to ruin my life <laughs> because state actually used to do quite a lot more tyrannical stuff and it's like so yeah we, we pretty well established that consent of the people they will consent to quite a lot of tyranny and yeah. so maybe that whole consent of the people thing is not necessarily a good thing and you know, like back then, because there was, you know, and hereditary monarchy, because there was no consent, <laughs> you know, every, and everyone knows he's the guy in charge and we are not, it doesn't matter what we think. And so, yeah. you know, and, and only, and uh, if he gets too bad, we're going to rebel. And mm-hmm. back then taxes never got above 10%. Boy, would I love some, for some 10% taxes right now. But because Jesus. it's like, you know, because rebellion happens right around 10%, nope, never got higher. So it's a small government, it's necessarily a small, poor king. Yeah. <laughs> you know, poor gang. But uh, you also have like, you know, the economic pricing problem because it's one guy in charge. He makes all the laws. And, you know, how much can one guy do? Not really. And it's like, they, he's got, a, that's the scalability problem. Once you start to get a lot more wealth and a lot more, and this was the main problem that, you know, really fucked over the hereditary monarchs and caused this, uh, you know, all, the uh, us to transition to republics is that we got so much wealthier. And, that monarch hereditary monarchy cannot scale because it's it has a central planning problem and would you say that's a consequence of the industrial revolution oh yeah capitalism (laughs) killed the kings for sure (laughs) no it's like no question about it that and actually you can go to the day it started which was the dusty dutch east india company like think it was like march 2nd in like 1602 or something like that and you can say the day to the day when uh, yo know, capitalism began because that corporate structure that joint stockholder structure is you know perfectly aligns all uh, economic incentives i won't go into that you know but it's it's the perfect you know you know engine of economic dynamism uh, the way it structures uh, shareholders management in the middle and customers at the bottom and it perfectly well, ba- balances everything 
what I've learned through uh, reading about the Kingdom of Prussia is that the king, uh, these hereditary monarchies kind of got a lifeline during the Industrial Revolution by playing on uh, liberals' affinity for nationalism. Um, because prior to that, there was no Germany, there was no Prussia. It was just like, this is the kingdom. And then instead, they put it in the context of this is your fatherland and you know we are united under mm-hmm. a common culture, common language. And that appeased a critical mass of liberals to kind of put their faith in the king in, in you know, defining their national identity um, instead of, uh, you know, being against the king for being an autocrat. Well, it also helped out quite a lot that you had France trying to invade repeatedly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and Russia. And Russia. You can't forget a- them. 1848 was uh, kind of that transition period where, you know, the the monarchs that were in charge either made it or didn't. Yep. And the ones that didn't, uh, boy, was that you didn't want to be those guys. And, yeah. uh, and, but, but yeah, that was exactly is that, you know, you had that internal force of, you know, Hey, we're going to try to use nationalism to, you know, unite our people against a common enemy who's trying to kill us all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like, if you think like the early 1800s with the Napoleonic Wars, it really, really helped set the stage for, uh, for Prussia to grow the way it did. Because it mm-hmm. always helps to have an enemy, and to uh, and when the Germans finally started to push back on the French and they started to beat Napoleon, like that was the first time we got conscription. We never had conscription mm-hmm. before that. That was the first time, and uh, that was when the uh, the the French Parliament or you know the, the, or the French Senate decided to we're going to put a levy on humans. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> and send us your sons. We're going to send them to be shot at by the Germans. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and before that, and so yeah, they had a, you know, and guess what? The people consented to it. You know why? Yeah. Because they will consent to quite a lot of tyranny and quite a lot of evil. Turns yeah. out they have a preference for uh, aggression, and it's actually quite high. And <laughs> so the the uh, that's not necessarily a good thing to have consent of the people. They might consent to quite a lot of evil. And uh, oh yeah, while we're and, talking but, shit about the public, uh, wh- mm-hmm. while we're talking shit about the public. The, the plebs. They're yeah. called the plebs. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, wanna, go ahead. I want to talk a little shit about, um, and then I'll really talk shit, but just something something that kind of popped into my mind about um, secession. Mm-hmm. Um, I A critique that I've formulated fairly recently uh, about secession is, it came from learning about Prussia and the idea that our foreign policy apparatus that we generally don't like because they are so effective historically um whatever whatever your ideal form of secession looks like that foreign policy apparatus is going to be on the other side of it uh let's say you're completely successful and you have gomez or whatever um none of those none of those pencil pushers in the in langley or um the cfr any of that is going to be on your side they're going to set about immediately to establish whatever hegemony they lost because, you know, like your law of archotropism, that's that's a vacuum that needs to be filled and it's going to be yep. it's it needs to be equalized. Yeah, um, but you can think of chaos as a vacuum that mm-hmm. you know it's all equally zero and yep. it demands to be filled. That, that's yeah. and I wouldn't call them leftists, but they they have historically they really well, yeah, yeah, in a broader sense, yeah, they're yeah. Trotskyites. Mm-hmm. Um they're but yeah, so you, yeah, <laughs> by leftist, you I mean take... to my left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Everybody's to our left. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty but, much. Go ahead. And the the critique I have, especially of like this idea of peaceful secession, is that those people exist for the sole purpose of establish of uh, establishing hegemony of you know whatever nation they identify with. Which you know, if you're not in that nation and you are you know a a developing country, um, they're going to do whatever they can to infiltrate subvert or um yeah you mean cause chaos and then find a dictator who will restore mm-hmm. who will power grab and restore order absolutely that's agrotropism yeah. right there that's a color revolution mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah that's exactly what a color a color revolution is a, like a high-speed arcotropism that's mm-hmm. what that is remember the death i don't think i ever defined the I, don't, I know we're a few hours in but i don't think i or i don't think i actually defined the definition of archotropism is this is the power grab uh, mechanism here where you are uh the uh, archotropism is the process by which uh, a state grows its power by extracting order from chaos so you know basically once you anytime you and, and this is like something that you can immediately have as a libertarian for, to disprove the idea that libertarianism and equality are or libertarianism and leftism are in any way compatible, they're not, is that because if you understand the left half is all chaos, and that basically anything on the left half is fodder for the state to power grab. So anything right there is like any action on that half, it necessarily means that you are increasing the, you know, basically the the pseudo demand for the state or the regular demand. And really, your only choice is between a better or worse state. Yeah, that effectively, yeah. Because if you understand that, like, okay, like the whole top, if you want, if you want liberty, if you're a libertarian, you want liberty. Okay, that puts you in the bottom half. Okay, now you understand that the left half is all fodder for the top half. <laughs> so yeah. it's like you're basically stuck in one quadrant logically, and mm-hmm. they, they don't want to hear that either. No, we're neither left nor right. <laughs> it's yeah. like the these fucking retards, but like, no, it's like, like anything on that left half, it, 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 any, any sort of chaos is potential for a color revolution. And, and to my, to my near group's credit, um, I think a lot of them have, you know, incorporated that realization into their, mm-hmm. you know, into their ideology. Yeah. Cause I really don't want the regime on the other end. It, you know, this current, re- I don't want, I don't want Langley and the CIA as my enemies. So it's like, these guys scare the fuck out of me. And, I'd rather just pay them off and mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't have to, and then not have to worry about it. We get to keep the uh, you know, keep those borders where they are and you know, just yeah. uh, I, I will have my own little parcel of property and just mind my own business and mm-hmm. they do not have to set about undermining me, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to be a threat. I'm just going to pay you and go away. How's that sound? Great. Yeah. That's what I thought. So let's take the deal. That's what's the price. And yep. the, uh, but yeah, so if you, if you want to try a real secession, you better be, you better like figure Don't out pick a way a fight to make, you can't win. Yeah. Or, or make sure that they're not going to be that for somehow they're not on the other side of you. Yeah. It's there like, have been so many revolutionary moments. Like I mentioned earlier, 1848, the entirety of Europe was in a revolutionary upheaval. And for the most part, it kind of just, they, they arrived at some bullshit compromise and then everything just kind of chugged along. Yeah, pretty much. Well, and, and uh, you know, eventually that was called uh, Bretton Woods where, you know, the United States had, you know, our Navy. We were the only one because all of the other navies of the world were at the bottom of J- Davy Jones locker. <laughs> so, yep. you know, we, we decided that, okay, we're going to take all of our allies from the war. 
I'm going to put them all into it. We're going to take them to a nice golf resort. We're going to do whatever you do when it comes to a nice golf resort. You put everyone in a locked room with no windows and you say you're only getting out once we have a deal. That's exactly how you do any company meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a nice resort. Smart. You don't get to enjoy the resort. <laughs> you get to go to the resort and enjoy the view for all the five minutes before we lock you in a room. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and uh, basically that's where we said that, okay, uh, this, you know, cause we were looking across at, uh, Stalin's red army and you know, how they just had just gotten done, like literally raping and pillaging their way across Germany. And we're like, Oh fuck, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to fight these guys because <laughs> we were, we, we were shaping up for world war three at that point, And like the red army looked really, really scary. And so, uh, we got the Germans and the British and the French and all of the allies together. And we said, okay, we're going to need you to, I know you just got done shooting at each other, but uh, we need you all to be on the same team now. And uh, not only do we need you to, to all be on the same team, uh, we're going to need you to be on the same team, not behind us, uh, not in line with us, but actually in front of us. We're going to need you to be human shields in front of us and the Red Army. <laughs> and they're like, fuck no, we don't want to do this. And so we're like, all right, we'll, we'll pay you. We'll, we'll you know satisfy your incentive, you know, incentives are a hack and we we gave them the marshall plan and that was a bribe that's what that was we bribed that we bribed up an alliance we did what americans usually do we bribed our alliances and you know we've done that for many many decades since then for at least eight of them and that still wasn't enough they're like uh the red army's still really scary we're gonna need a little bit more than that so we said all right we'll take our navy it's the only ones to survive the war and we're going to patrol all the oceans of the sea and you're going to be able to have free trade for the first time ever instead of having empires where you have crisscrossing trade lines and and uh nations pirating each other's uh, uh trade trade routes because that's what piracy was it was actually a privateer <laughs> yeah. they, they were uh, uh privately predating on somebody else's uh you know uh trade and yeah. that was that that was like official navies doing that so what they ended up uh so that ended up you know really hurting free trade and we said okay no more of that we're going to use our navy to patrol that for everybody and we use free trade as a bribe so when you hear the term free trade just understand you're talking militarily subsidized trade yeah <laughs> you can yeah. So in, in the word for free you can instead of calling it free you can call it militarily subsidized trade because it's our navy is the subsidy that makes that possible otherwise you would have a reversion to empire which was the pr the previous system that we kind of got rid of that had all of that piracy that led to world war one and that and so that's what, what's, what's going to come right back once we uh end all of these uh in the free trade system which donald trump just did so great yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what's going to come. That's the incentive now, because that's what pays people and whatever they whatever pays them, they're going to do it, even if it's evil. Yeah. And I agree. so. So, yeah, that's that that that's what's coming. And I really don't want to be on the, the other side of that, uh, you know, for anybody else. So, yeah, I mean, bottom line, if there is a peaceful way to achieve your freedom, um, that's preferable. Um, but because. Because I have a brand to protect, uh, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with everything you just said. And, you know, I encourage you to uh, stockpile ammo and uh, start shooting at federal agents. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. In Minecraft or whatever. In Minecraft. But no. Yeah. I'm a I imagine that, like, you know, someday there's going to be one libertarian, will, you know, who's in court. It's like, but I said in Minecraft. Yeah. Who's like, yeah, it's going to be me. Not gonna... <laughs> it's going to be either me, bird or car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that, yeah, it's uh, not going to work. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. D don't, don't be, uh, 
Don't be fed posting on Twitter about how this is our time to martyr ourselves. And we need to yeah. fight back. Get ready, stockpile ammo. Be ready for the collapse. And you know, the, if the state comes, I'm going to blow their heads off at the door. And oh, this doesn't and sound. If, this doesn't sound good. This is not the way. And if you do have to do that, just make sure that you can win. Like if you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I could take them, then sure. Good, good for you. It's like, uh, it's like you can't take them, man. <laughs> you're overestimating your position, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's like I don't want to take them. I just want to pay them. You know, just like yeah. pay, go away. I don't want that you here anymore. Infinitely preferable. Yes, it's so obvious too. It's like if you would just learn some economics, libertarians. Yeah. <laughs> the <Wow>. libertarians <laughs> would just learn some economics. We could, you know, solve this problem. And just they're learning the wrong kind of economics. You need to learn the other kind of economics that the left really understands. Stop being Keynesians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to understand the Marxists. <laughs> like they're the ones who really understand the whole power system. So yeah, it's kind of what anyway. What why I'm here, where I am. Are uh, you but, you there? All right. So yeah. All right. Well, anyway, hey, it's been uh, great talking with you. And yes, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot. Um, I think I'm able to adequately explain it to um, all of my followers who are sub 80 IQ. Um, (laughs) The two digits. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, if you liked this and you want to learn more, uh, I have my Subscribestar up now where I have a whole lot of extra content explaining all of this in uh, great detail. And I'm about to come out with another uh, five-page essay. I've got one up there already. I'm about to come out with another five-page essay on archotropism and how this works. Jesus. I've also talked, I also have a five-page essay up there on the anti-tax and how that's go- and how that works. And, you know, and if you want to start installing one in your, uh, you know, in your, uh, 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 local government, you know, this is like, like my supporting listeners group is a, is a place where I am very, very reachable. If you ask me a dumb question on Twitter, you risk me, you know, responding with a meme of how stupid you are. But if you ask me the same question in my supporting listeners group, I will give you a long essay, uh, you know, on, you know, on what a, uh, on a good response to it. That's very, very thoughtful. And my and so my you should help me uh, stop being poor, as Matt Erickson likes to say, and uh, support me because this is what makes this content come out. This is a new brand of economics and a new, or really a new kind of economics and a new uh, solution to you know to this problem that we that we face that I am working on and nobody else. Is. So it's me or there's me or nobody. So come support me. And that's at subscribestar.com/slash/popularliberty. And, you know, you can also find me at Twitter on Twitter at popular Liberty underscore, and you can find me on YouTube. You can find a lot of my content there where I have a lot of these same conversations where you can also, you know, educate yourself there if you're interested in learning more and that's a uh, popular Liberty on YouTube. And uh, that's about it. You can, that's, that's how you can find me, but definitely find me in the, in the supporting listeners. I'm very greedy and you can just pay me to get whatever you want out of it. <laughs> that sounds very, very amazing. Simple. All right, I want to thank you for coming on, and welcome to Boys Town, faggot.